Hey, everybody. Okay, this is a bonus episode. This is extra. If 15 minutes of Parsha a week is not enough for you, if you're jonesing for more Parsha, then you, you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one-hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on a Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free, and we'd love to have you. Welcome, everybody. Um, welcome and um, and happy Passover. Almost, we're we're heading in. We're just we're we're still uh, more than a week out, but you know, in Jewish time, that's already erev Pesach. Like it's like a, everything feels like erev Pesach now because it's like a frenzied holiday to get prepared for. And we're supposed to, I uh, you know, that is definitely how we are supposed to experience this period, right? Like the whole intention of Passover um, is so much about chipazon, about hurriedness, that, that like the pre-Pesach anxiety is part of Pesach, and that's where we're at. And so I'm thinking about Passover, and everybody um, in, 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 on the Ikar team is thinking about Passover. And so as we uh, look at the Parsha this week, um, we can't help but think about Passover. Now, this is a Parsha class, but there is a long tradition in Parsha uh, study to um, incorporate part of the art is to incorporate whatever upcoming holiday happens to be, because it's not always exact. It's not always the same Parsha and the same holiday, but, but when a holiday is coming, you know, your study of the Parsha na naturally evokes um, um, some reference to the holiday because that's also in the air. And I think there are, there's a kind of artistry to that intersecting, but it's also a metaphysical belief that these time cycles line up in certain ways. I mean, and, and, and that's meaningful and it's important psychically, spiritually that it's both Passover season and we're studying this Parsha in the Torah right now. So, so, um, so then our, our job then is to study, is to do both of that, is to study Leviticus um, and then to, to think Passover. But that's not easy. Nothing about Leviticus is easy. And nothing about, she, she is a difficult book, she is. Um, but nothing about Leviticus is easy. Um, and, and, you know, when you come to Passover, I mean, I guess there is a Paschal offering. We could talk about the offering, but... The real, the real power of Passover is the, is the story of Passover. The story of Passover is the greatest story ever told. So 
Um, so what, like, what do you do when you're deep, 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 mired, deep, 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 deep in the laws of Leviticus? And, and should we just take a week and study those and forget about Passover for, for a while? There's no possible connection, is there? And, and yet this year, um, I said this in, in shul this, this past week, this year, I, 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 this past two years, I came to really understand Leviticus in a different way. You know, pandemic um, has, has been bad, but it has been good for the reading of Leviticus. That is a silver lining. I, it is, I get Leviticus in a much deeper way, this book of, uh, this book of infection. Um, and, and so I see, I'm starting to see connections everywhere. And I think um, that's a relief because goodness, it's right there in the center of the Torah Leviticus. So it's like, it's the heart of it. And, and yet it's the most difficult part. So, um, so how can we find meaning in Leviticus at all? Well, one of the ways that we, I think, can start to see a new level of Leviticus is to see that um, so much of what's going on in Leviticus was already embedded for us in the Passover story. Okay, so that's what we're, we're going to do that work today um, together. And um, I'm going to try to draw the connections for us. And then I'm, every so often I'll turn it over to you and say, well, what do you make of this? Because I don't know the meaning exactly behind it all, but I definitely am seeing now connections I never saw before. And I think, I think it'll be, um, I think you will too. I think it'll be easy enough to, to demonstrate that, that, that connection that, we, that it, it usually goes unnoticed, I think. Okay, so let's say a blessing. Baruch Ata Adonai Elohim Elohim Asher Torah. Okay, so here we go. Um, before I share with you the source sheet, let me just show you how our parsha this week begins, because this is just to give you a feel for what we are in right now. This is like, this is not if you're you know you don't want this to be your your bat mitzvah parsha, right? Like this is. Uh, this is like, ew, this is, this is Parshat Mitzorah, the Parsha, the Torah of the leper. We sometimes, that's not a, an accurate translation, but, um, but the, the diseased, the Parsha of disease. So this is how it starts. Um, Hashem, Adonai, spoke to Moses saying, this shall be the Torah HaMitzorah, the ritual or the instruction for the Mitzorah. He's usually translated as leper. At the time of his purification, when it's been reported to the priest, the priest shall go outside the camp. If the priest sees that the hatsarat, if the priest sees that the tsarua has been healed of the tsarat of, uh, affection, the priest shall order two live birds, cedar wood, crimson stuff, and hyssop to be brought for the one purified. So there you go, mitsora, tsarua, tsarat. That's that's the name of the of the disease, tsarat. This spiritual ailment that manifests in in skin and sometimes in clothes and sometimes in the walls of a house and it is a kind of a rot and yet the the cure for it seems to be all like uh, primarily spiritual but there's isolation and there's okay um there's a whole process there's a whole ritual that that the mitzvah goes through and that's part of the business of the priests okay that's what we're talking about right now. That's what we're up to in the Torah right now. Okay. Oh, no, I have a Passover class to give. Like, what do I do? <laughs> right. But let's just start here. The first connection is already incredibly illuminating. 
Where is the first mention of tzarat in the Torah? What is the first mention of this, aff this affliction, this disease? Because now this chapter 14 of Leviticus is like really unpacking this whole, it's going to be a big part of, of our story and figures will become infected with it. Miriam becomes infected with Tzarat. Um, Naman, uh, the commander of an army, becomes infected with Tzarat. Yoav becomes infected with Tzarat. Tzarat is, is that's, it's, it's, a, it's some kind of disease that our people go. But where's the first? Oh, Leah, do you have it? Leah Matsili? Um, I think I do. Moses yeah. is talking to the burning bush and says, what's going on? I can't believe this is happening. And Hashem says, no, I'll show you. And part of Moses's arm becomes white with scales. Great. That is it. Boom. You get 100 points, uh, you, which you can put in your, in your tally, you know, to buy prizes at the end. Um, that is correct. That is exactly right. That, that's the, the, check this out, Sarat. We almost forget about it because it's kind of in passing. It never, it never, it never really needs to be used. But but check this out. This is the exactly right. The burning bush. Back to Exodus chapter four, and Moses is saying, God's like, hey, go go set you know let set my people free. Let my people go. Send my people away. Talk to Pharaoh. You know, start the Exodus story. And Moses, of course, is. Reluctant, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to my voice. Well, how they're not going to, I just come out of the desert and say I was talking to God. And God gives Moses three um, magic tricks. <laughs> three magic tricks. It's always a little funny that the whole thing rests on, well, look at, uh, watch me pull a rabbit out, rabbit out of my hat. But the second magic trick is this one. Exactly, Leah's exactly right. Uh, God said to him further, Put your hand in your bosom. He put his hand in his bosom. When he took, his out, took it out, his hand was mitzorat, like snow, right? It was that white scaly stuff that we're talking about. And God said, put your hand back. I and mean, it's really like a magic trick. And he puts his hand back. My, my father used to do this, you know, my father would be like, you know, like wet his finger, you know, when I was a little kid and he'd be like, and then he'd use a different finger. It's like dry. It would like blow my mind. So it's like that kind of like, look, and now it's not Mitzarat anymore. It's like the whole thing's a little comic. And yet that is the first mention of Tzarat. Interesting. We don't, don't see it again, but then suddenly it's a major topic in Leviticus. So let me just stop here and ask, what do you make of that connection? What, why is Moses, what, what, what's, what's the significance of Moses sort of like reaching into his breast pocket and pulling out the, the, what will become a topic of disease in the book of Leviticus? And then it's gone. First mention ever. Any thoughts on that? Okay, you can meditate. You can meditate here. We, oh, Matt, Matt, jump in, Matt, go ahead. Just one quick one that in the Moses thing, God does this. Look, I can do this thing. Whereas this chapter, God isn't involved in the creating of the problem or the solving of the problem. God gives instructions, but God isn't here. Mm -hmm. We, this thing happens. If this thing happens, 
you do this stuff. That's so, really that's really interesting. What Matt is saying is interesting, and, and I want us to keep it in mind throughout our conversation. Matt is offering us a way to a way to start thinking about some of the differences between the Exodus paradigm as a kind of larger our relationship with God and what's going on there, and the Leviticus paradigm. And you might think that the Leviticus, Leviticus, they're obsessed with God, right? They're making all these offerings. But Matt is saying when it comes to the afflictions, the things that the priests are treating, the impurities, impurities, that's all actually, it's spiritual language. It's taking place here in the terrestrial. And the priests are just dealing with disease. And they're doing their rituals and they're trying to heal people. But nobody knows whether, God, hopefully, God healed that person. That's what we assume. But here, in Exodus, part of the point is that God is like, watch, ta-da, I am here, behold, right? So let's keep that, that dichotomy in mind. It, it will, I think, prove, prove helpful um, as we keep going. All right, let's take one more comment. Then we're going to pan, pull out, a, pan out a little bit. Allison? Thanks. Um, it occurred to me that in that moment where Moses gets Sarat on his hand, he's mm. <laughs> he's completely doubting himself. Like God is telling him, I want you to do this thing. And Moses is saying, I can't do it. Choose someone else, <laughs> not me. Um, and it made me think of this really interesting Torah that I read last week uh, from Rav Moshe Weinberger, where he talked about like the word nega and how it's so close to oneg. But the difference is the placement of the ayin, like where we put our eye, where we put the focus. Mm. Um, and it seems like in that moment that like Moses was looking backwards. He was looking at all of his shortcomings. He wasn't really looking ah. at what could be. Ah, so that's an interesting suggestion, what, what Allison is offering us, which is that if it never occurred to us, or at least not to me, to think of this this affliction that Moses gets as a tzarat affliction, like it, it wasn't he wasn't punished for with tzarat, he wasn't afflicted. It was just like look at what you can do. Although, then again, it's disease he's pulling out of his pocket, and so perhaps suggests Allison, it's it's a there is some kind there's a moment there's a kind of vulnerability, a kind of weakness in Moses in that moment, and this is part of what can happen when you're not you have to have faith in God. And what is Moses saying right now? But I do, what they're not going to have faith. I, I, I don't, this isn't going to be believable. And so there's a kind of like, that's a spiritual sickness. Maybe this is like a taste of that. In other words, maybe we should take the signs as symbolic in and of themselves and not just three cards that Moses has in his pocket. Okay, with that said, okay, but a couple of really helpful um, reflections there, just thinking about, oh, now that I've got this, I mean, this is like a conduit. Right, Sarat here, Sarat there. Like, how is how is that earlier moment connected connected to Leviticus, and how might Leviticus inform it, and it inform Leviticus? Now, suddenly, though, here we are in this scene where God gives Moses three things to do, and we're thinking, oh, Sarat, that's impurities. It comes up later in Leviticus, and then wait a minute, if we pan back, pan out. <laughs> move back, I don't know what that, if we pan out a little bit, you see that scene has three little tricks and they're all forms of impurity actually, come to think of it, right? Because the first one is the only one that, that Moses ever uses. It's funny because God says, and if they don't believe you, then they'll believe the second. And if they're still not convinced by these signs, then there's, there's three. 
But the first one is throwing the rod down on the ground and it becomes a snake. Okay, now that's interesting because snakes and creepy crawly things shratzim can also be sources of impurity. And then the last sign is taking water and pouring it onto the ground and it turns into blood. Blood, which can also be a source of impurity. Now, I wouldn't make that connection necessarily. A blood is blood. Blood can mean a lot of things. But now I have a list. The middle thing is this special disease that we are introduced to in Leviticus. And then the other items on the list have things that we encounter in Leviticus, right? Ver vermin and bodily fluid. Mm. So now what, what is going on here? What do you make of this? And let me just do you now, <laughs> let me just do you one better and say, wait a minute, blood is the last thing on the list. Well, come to think of it, blood is the first plague. And now let's look for a minute at the 10 plagues. We're not gonna, we don't have to go in depth. Let's just use the Haggadah and look at the 10 plagues. How many of these things are agents of impurity? These are the 10 plagues the Holy Blessed One brought upon the Egyptians in, e in Egypt. Dam, blood, Svardea, and they, and they die and rot in piles, becoming sources of impurity. Lice. Now swarms, there's a debate, is this wild animals? In which case that wouldn't necessarily be impurity or is it um, swarms of insects? In which case it would, although wild animals also tear up carcasses. I, I don't know, I don't wanna stretch it too far, but you know, disease, well, that's a source of impurity and boils, boils by the way, which are only mentioned here in Exodus and again in Leviticus, when boils appear on the skin of one's body, same word there. So now like, now, wait a minute. I mean, that's a lot of the plagues, right? Like, and maybe death of the firstborn is also a source of impurity, right? Death itself. I mean, I stopped at a certain point because hail is not a source of impurity. So it's not like absolute, but gosh, that's a, there's a lot going, there's a lot there. I mean, this is already pretty suggestive. So let me, let me pause again and ask, what do you make of this? What, what would it mean to think of the plagues of Egypt as forms of the not necessarily named impurity there, but the things that Leviticus will come to think of as impure and to be avoided. Well, what do we, what do we make of that? Why is Exodus playing with those same elements? Okay, Ariella. Well, um, just like at the burning bush, God gave these as a sign to Moses. They were a sign to, to the Egyptians. They were, you know, a sign from God, like pay attention. Right. The, the, form, the function of the plagues here has all, we have always assumed that the function of the plagues here is to demonstrate God's might and power. And to the Egyptians, right? Um, Shvatim, they're sometimes called. God's executed judgment upon Egypt and its gods. Now, what would it mean to say that the God did that by striking them with forms of impurity, right? Because after all, Tzarat, the Mitzorah seems to be someone who has been stricken. Now, I, with my pandemic eyes, have, have you know, have, have really been thinking about how the Mitzorah then becomes, what, it, what does it mean to be stricken by God? Like, this all seems to me a metaphor for, for every disease that we receive. Right, which seems on some level to come from, you know, 
not a, not as a punishment, but like it descends upon me, right? Like, um, so what does it mean? So, so uh, you know, in the ancient world, surely healing comes from above and so indeed does affliction, does disease. So God is, is impurifying, is smiting with disease and boils. And I mean, maybe I'm saying something obvious here, but on the other hand, you know, the connect the 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 the, the Moses connection there is 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 pretty pretty uh, neon glowing, but once you start to look at all of these elements of what what Moses's powers are, they look like powers of impurity. He's like a uh, he's like a sorcerer. He's like a dark a dark you know uh, warlock or something. Right? Okay, um, I saw just saw him go up and then come down. Okay, any thoughts on this connection? Payam, Payam Imrani. I think the plagues are a form of the creation of the hierarchy of impurity in the sense that they show the Jews what impurity can be. If you look at the plagues, like the worst one is darkness. You know, they all have spiritual connotations and darkness being you're away from God itself. And if you look at Leviticus, it's almost like they're afraid those plagues are going to come back to the Jews themselves. Okay. Okay, good. So now Payam's like pushing the conversation a step forward and saying, maybe the forces that the plagues represent, those are just like some of the terrible forces in the world, in God's arsenal. And we're afraid of them too. And we went through them too, to a certain extent. And it's in our... It's in our collective memory that one should be constantly in good relation with God or else the hellfire rains down upon you. And that, that takes place for us, as we know, you know, in the form of disease and loss of resources and infection. And, and, and yes, of course, hail and, and darkness as well. There are things that, that, that Leviticus, that this Levitical system is maybe not a directly addressing, but the, the physical elements, our relationship to like the physical elements around us, um, the, the, the living and, 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 and organic matter around us. Right, right. So, so maybe we have, maybe there's something in our Leviticus system that is aware that plagues can come. And what is Sarat called? If not, as Allison reminded us earlier, a nega, a plague, right? So that same kind of language is used, right? So okay, okay. So let's let's poke a little further, and then we're going to take um, we're going to take a different look into Leviticus and and the, and the Passover Leviticus. Um, Alexandra, I what I'm struck by is that. Um, well, first of all, everyone's comments are so inspiring and interesting and this class is as well, so thank you. And um, when Moses had to put his hand inside, he had to, it's almost like he had to pull it out of him that he reached in to pull out the impurity that we all have. That reminds me of the, um, the mandate that we have as Jews to circumcise our hearts and to, um, to go within and to, to pull out the impurities that we all as humans have in our hearts. And it, um, 
the Kabbalistic principle of as above, so below, the idea that in the um, Egyptian culture, there, this wasn't a culture of, of looking inward to, to heal one's own impurities or to look inward to give one's own impurities to God to transform into healing. Um, so the plagues came from above because possibly of the manifestation below that it was not a culture of seeking the light and seeking to transform the negative and the dark within us to the light through seeking God. Okay, great. So this um, po poetic literary reading of, of Moses's moment of infection, which Ale Alexander is doing so nicely, like he, he had reach inside himself and kind of rip out the Sarah. Like there, there is something in that movement that, that, that sounds, puts, puts his hand into his breast and like pull. That sort of thinking becomes um, inevitable once we, once we start to see Tzarat pop up in narrative. Um, because in Leviticus, it just seems like it's just laws and rituals and, and di clinical diagnoses. But the most famous narrative, which sort of fleshes out, um, no pun intended, Tzarat for us, is the Miriam uh, 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 affliction where Miriam is struck with Sarat and she and Aaron have just been talking smack about Moses. And so the assumption is it's because they were doing something morally wrong that God struck them with this. And there's a, there's a connection being made between this, the moral spiritual work of the inner life and the, the, um, the way that the skin can reveal on the exterior what is happening on the interior. Um, it, I've been talking about this a lot in the in the podcast lately. The, the, um, here, if you have a if you have a chance and you want to link uh, us to this week's podcast, that's a lot of the language that our commentators are are using to think about Sarat altogether, which is that something wicked within is bubbling up or that God doesn't want you to be able to hide your, you, you know, you, the, the, the evil things you say about others, right? You say them out oh, to your friends. So, so thinking about the spiritual um, world and the spirit and spiritual behavior in our internal spiritual lives, as we think about um, Leviticus and was that our, was that beginning to take place in Exodus? Okay. That sort of the seeding of what it meant to be spiritually corrupt and spiritually noble. Okay, one more comment, and then and then I'm going to move forward from um, uh, Ari Ratner. Ari, I can see you, but I cannot hear sorry, you. Sorry, oh, sorry, sorry. As soon as I started to talk, my lawyer called me, which God knows what that's telling us. <laughs> I'm, I'm not at fault. <laughs> um, it just occurred to me, you know. I'm not a scientist at all, but we have this concept of entropy, uh, that things devolve towards disorganization, um, unless we have energy that puts them forward. And it seems to me, especially if we consider death to be impure, that naturally things devolve towards impurity, that it takes some sort of energy, um, God otherwise, to, to prevent you know, entropy in this case, impurity. Um, and if you think of the... the the plagues, right? Like the plagues, I'm sure there's a whole debate about whether they strike the Israelites or not. 
Um, you know, certainly they experience darkness if there's darkness, right? And they have they have to do something to have it pass over, right? Um, them on the slaying of the firstborn. Um, and even that kind of interior Moses thing, like on the inside of me, you know, there's this impurity um, to, to take kind of Alexandra's comments and maybe use it a little bit different, right? There is this sort of baseline at core, we're impure um, or we're going to be impure, you know, eventually, um, whatever the case is. And there's something that has to be done um, to halt that. And it seems like, you know, the laws range from you know things you can do to things god must do to thing collectively we can do to ultimately there's a resurrection if you want to go that far right but it but it does seem that everything is sort of going in that direction and it's sort of i don't want to say it's like um you know bailing out the titanic or anything like that but there there's a there's a there's a push towards impurity that we have to fight against okay great okay this is really i really appreciate this this in some ways takes us all the way uh, to the end. Things I was I was hoping to mention before we close, but it's good, Let's we're halfway through, let's mention them already, because Ari does such a nice job of signaling um, for us. Ari is a big, big picture thinker, right? And giving us a whole kind of social theory, a whole ontology here, right? What does impurity represent? It represents um, the inevitable process of decay that, everything that is alive will go through, right? The world itself is decomposing. You are dying right now and it's terrifying, but that there's something inevitable about it, that this is, these forces of decay, infection, deterioration, um, 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 invasion by some, some foreign um, agent, right? <laughs> like we, we children of COVID know this well, right? Like these forces are out there and they, we are not eternal. And maybe that's part of why it's, um, it's such a big deal in Exodus is that God is saying, Pharaoh is not eternal. Only I am eternal. Everything on this earth, this, it can be destroyed. It, everything that is matter can decay, right? Now, that's, that's an incredibly helpful framework for thinking about a, a Leviticus. What is Leviticus concerned with? What is, what is Leviticus's um, great um, interest here, right? So, okay, I, I want to, um, to push us a little bit forward, or at least to give us another big chunk of, of text to think about, because so far I've just, we have the big connection with Moses pulling his hat out and having it be Mitzorad, and I've signaled some, wow, there's a lot of shared overlapping themes. I, oh, I Boils here, boils there. Okay, but maybe this does not a whole theory make. Um, so um, let, me, let me show you another thing that's happening in Passover that is distinctly Levitical. <laughs> and um, and takes us to another place that Ari was pointing, which is the idea, this is the other big, big, um, I really seized on the decaying um, descriptions, but the other big idea that Ari was offering us was that, therefore we must seek some protection. We must seek some kind of warding off of infection. And that's what we do the night, the first night that the, of Passover when the, when the, the force of destruction um, moves above us, 
Okay. So this is, let me, let me, let me just take us then to that night. What's happening that night this is the first description, first command that God gives to the children of Israel for what to do to ward off this last plague, the killing of the firstborn. And as Ari suggests, and we don't, I, I don't articulate this to myself uh, enough. We, we are susceptible to the plague of the firstborn. Right? It will kill everybody's firstborn from top to bottom of society. The Torah goes out, goes to point that out from the dungeon to the throne and Israelites, unless you do this stuff, okay, this special ritual. So let's take a look at the special ritual. Now, the special ritual involves the slaughtering of the Paschal lamb and the taking of the blood and putting it on the doorpost. That's the famous part. But look at the language here. Look at the language here. This is We've not seen anything like this in the Torah so far. And suddenly Moses is talking to these slaves who have no, you know, who've had their culture dissembled, who have no, like suddenly they're getting these very precise instructions from Moses. Your lamb, take a lamb, your lamb, maybe I should situate us in the actual, uh, let's just look at the way this, this uh, chapter starts. Hello, hello. There it is. Um, um, this month shall, shall mark for you the beginning of the months. Speak to the community leadership of Israel and tell them that on the 10th of each month, they, they take a lamb. And then the lamb is with them for four days. And then back to our, um, back to, okay, this is the, the, the ritual, the first Passover ritual. Your lamb shall be a male without blemish. Tamim Zachar. Now, there have been sacrifices before in the Torah, but the idea that they had to be blemish-free, that's Leviticus language, right? Here we are in Leviticus. If your offering for a burnt offering is from the flock of sheep or of goats, you shall make your offering a male without blemish. There are female sacrifice, or fe female, yes, female sacri animal sacrifices too, but that language, zahar tamim, that's, we get that for the first time in the Passover ritual. And by the way, of sheep or of goats, that's the exact same language here too. Take it from the sheep or from the goats. Okay. You shall keep watch over it until the 14th day and all the assembled congregation of the Israelites shall slaughter it at twilight. So slaughter itself, slaughter itself is, is, is mentioned in a way that, that Leviticus will pick up. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts. Put it on the chair. This is the famous ritual. The lachum in Adam, take the, the, the blood and put it on the shtemezuzot. Look, that's exactly what the priest ends up, end up doing. Same language. The priest shall take some of the blood with his finger of the sin offering and put it on the horns of the altar. Almost like the mezuzot uh, of the altar there, right? And um, then they, um, and the lintel of the house they were going to eat, and then they shall eat the flesh the same night. They shall eat it roasted over fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. Okay, they shall eat the flesh that same night. That's also familiar language. The flesh of the Thanksgiving offering of well-being shall be eaten on the day uh, that it is offered. None of it shall be set aside until morning. Speaking of not setting aside anything until morning, that's also language we see both in the Paschal offering and then again, word for word in Leviticus um, for the Thanksgiving offering. And then... Can I, I mean, the, the, maybe the most obvious thing, the craziest, most obvious thing right here, unleavened bread, what's that? Matzah, matzah, 
Now, matzah is the great bread of Passover, bread of affliction. That's the whole thing, right? Matzah. Where else do we see matzah in the Torah? Only, only, only in Leviticus. When you present a meal uh, baked in the oven, it shall be of choice flour. Matzot loaves with oil mixed in or matzot spread with oil, matzot. So, I mean, I could keep, you know, I could keep going here. No, I can't really. That's the end of my list. But you see what I'm saying? I mean, that's the first thing the Israelites hear from Moses. And it's essentially a mini, a primer in Leviticus. Now, now, come on. What do we make of that? Why are we being inducted into the rites and rituals of what will become the priestly code? Okay. Okay, now we have a lot of information to, to chew on. Um, so I'm not gonna throw a particular question out there. I see hands that have been up from before. So I'm gonna turn to Jen uh, and then to Matt. Hey, um, ironically, I just got back from an endoscopy. So I'm feeling my throat's pretty bad. Um, and it's ironic because of what I wanna say. I'm very um, prickly about um, using illness of any kind as a metaphor for spiritual impurity. Um, it bothers the hell out of me, especially as someone who's been seriously ill in the last two years. And I see that way of looking at illness in our culture. You hear things like people with good attitudes are the ones who recover or don't think that way or else it will come back. Or, you know, people who are healthy and, you know, exercise and eat the right foods aren't going to get this illness that has nothing to do with any of that. It's in our culture and it's so deeply uncomfortable for me when we start using physical illness or disability uh, of any kind as a metaphor uh, for spiritual stuff. And I, I just really want to problematize that a little bit during this conversation. Yeah, well, very well problematized. Very, very well said. Um, that's, yeah, I just, I'm not going to restate that. That is as, as well said as and and an, and an incredibly important uh, uh, principle to keep in mind. The only thing I I will say to kind of maybe um, maybe co complement that 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 warning is that one wonders actually if maybe yes the ancient world had they just didn't have like the same kind of science, um, but that they were actually concerned with illness, right? And then actually coming to see their, their real interest in illness. And I actually think the, the, this, the idea of like a spiritual malady is, a, that's not the Torah per se. That's an idea that gets developed over the tradition of interpretation. Right, that's that's an interpretive move, and you've cautioned us um, well around uh, some of the implications of that move. But it is precisely the 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 the, the more <laughs> terrestrial realm of this 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 interest of the Torahs that I am um, that I that that I they want that I want this conversation to return us to. So so thank you for that, Jen. The, the, the we're getting we're we're wading so so uh, deeply now into into like very big theological questions, but I don't uh, suffice it to say I don't think that in the ancient world we can contain um, this conversation into just physical 
or just spiritual. I mean, I just, it was all the same. God was the source of all forces. Now, whether, whether those forces would erupt for moral reasons or not, for some sort of misdeed, or whether God is also just the source of sickness and healing. And that's the, that's the, um, the spectrum along which we are in like doing our, our investing, our priestly investigations. That's a distinction we could perhaps draw, but the idea that God might have nothing to do with it. And I think you're, you're saying this well, that's not, that's just not an uh, ancient or not. I don't know. I can, can't speak for the entire ancient world, but it seems to be one of the great like points that the Torah is making in Exodus and perhaps in Leviticus as well, that God is the force. There isn't some other force that you might gain healing from. There isn't some other force that, and this is the dangerous part. There isn't some other force that might cause sickness. God is the source of that as well, right? We have to reckon with that. God is just Elohim, the forces of the world. So how do we, whoa, the forces of the world include death, disease, destruction. And can we negotiate that? The priests have some answers to those questions, right? Um, but we're, it's also right to say, and this, is an, this has been an important kind of uh, uh, important pause here to sit and, and reflect on how easy it is then to take that kind of um, thinking about the connection between all the physical forces in the world and the source of all being, and then to like get to a place where you say, oh, you're sick? Well, you deserved it, you know, because God's mad at you. That's like a whole different theology. And I just like, we'll, we'll press the brakes on that for now. Um, okay, um, now we, are, we are coming to the end here, but I have not yet um, revealed the most, the most obvious and, and kind of um, explicit connection that could be made between the Passover story, between the, the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus, which is, okay, so now we've seen some parallels in the world of um, Tumavatara, these two forces that we sometimes translate as purity and impurity, and we've seen some parallels in the practice of the sacrifices as a way to ward off some kind of destruction. And this, you know, so there it is. There's a lot of the language we're drawing from. We're doing good speculation here. But then eventually the Torah is explicit when um, just before the, the, the revelation at Mount Sinai in chapter 19, the Torah has um, this big flowery language. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to me. Now then, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. I'm Segula. Indeed, all the earth is mine, but you shall be You shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the children of Israel. A kingdom of priests. Now, what does that mean? Especially since it doesn't happen. Right? Pretty quickly after, we appoint a priest, and then there's eventually a priestly family, and there's eventually a priestly tribe, and then, so we're not a kingdom of, we're not all priests. Now, it's poetry, I know. Confanasharim, wings of eagles, right? It's poetry. But is it? I mean, all the commentators say a kingdom of priests, meaning like, just like the priests serve God, we'll all serve God. We, we could leave it there. 
But I, I wonder, like, why, why that phrase when the next book of the Torah will be the book that we refer to as the, the Torah Kohanim, the, the Torah of the priests. So if we're a kingdom of priests and priests do the Levitical stuff, I don't know, like, what is the idea that maybe this verse is offering its own interpretation of everything we've seen so far, that we are all being inducted into the priesthood and that we will be a priestly nation. What do you think? <laughs> I actually don't have a great answer to this myself, you know, because I went looking in the commentaries and it really is like pretty, oh, be a priest, meaning like be good, serve God. Mishartai, um, be one of my servants, says, says the Ramban. That feels to me like not enough. It's such a loaded phrase, a kingdom of priests. Yeah. All right. Any thoughts? Okay. All right. Well, we'll, well I want to leave that one hang up. Oh, Priam, you want to offer uh, an attempt? We're a kingdom of priests, aren't we? I mean, everyone can read the Torah and everyone can say the prayers. And, you know, I mean, I guess back then there was sacrificial system, but we sort of got rid of that and became a kingdom of priests at some point. Right. Okay. So that so so a straightforward but very compelling read by Payam, which is that no, this is the idea. They they just offered the sacrifice. Like yes, they'll be ministers, and in fact, the system got more and more mired in the in the ministry of of holiness, so to speak. And we probably still are in certain ways. But it's supposed to be that everybody brings their own sacrifice, and everybody's tending to their own bodies. And everybody's like that these are we'll all we'll all and everybody and most importantly everybody is summoning god down themselves and that's the ideal isn't it that there shouldn't be a priestly class i mean i think this is actually a fairly provocative uh verse to to turn around because it seems like one way to read it is that leviticus is wrong that the priesthood is a concession that there's not that shouldn't have gone that way this verse seems to suggest we should all be you know, we're all holy, right? Right, as as uh, as Korach says. Why have you elevated yourself above the congregation? Okay, um, Regina, who I met in person. So nice to so nice to have. Met oh, you. so nice to see you. Um, yeah. So why? Um, so what that means to me is that we are able to bless each other. We can, you know, we were everybody's a priest, you know, and um, why not? <laughs> Be able to bless everybody you know our neighbors our friends our family it's a, you know it's it, it's it's just something that's extended to everybody yeah yeah, yeah. okay i like this echoes this theme of of have of, of having kind of collective access to the priesthood it's an interesting one to think about because the priesthood represents our traditions caste system, our traditions, elitism. Now, was it elitism? Were these the powerful people in society? I mean, historians have different opinions on how, what, where the priestly class fit, but it was a class. I mean, it was a distinct class that had different privileges and responsibilities. So that's like, and yet maybe there's a suggestion here from the beginning that we should, we're all on some level priests and we all do priestly work. And we should all have some access to, um, maybe that's why Leviticus is here to begin with. So the priests don't have their own code of law. No, we get to see what's in there. 
you know, guts and all. We see it because, yeah, there eventually there are priests and maybe it's a concession or maybe it's like, yeah, the priests of the priests, but we're all part of this system. We'll all study it. We'll all rule on it. We'll all literally bring our sacrifices to the temple. We'll all, you know, we'll all, right, <laughs> you know. Men of a certain men of a certain age, right? But uh, but but uh, you know, one day in the days of the Messiah, we'll all we'll all bring our sacrifice to the temple, right? So, but so it's so also maybe... extend, I'm sorry, um, where this was previously only extended to men, it's now maybe extended to women as well. <laughs> Just like to throw that in, right? Well, I mean, that's that is in some ways that's that's one wonders whether this in in this original version of sacrifice this original version of where the family does a sacrifice together in their home right and learns all the rites and rituals together and teaches them to their children right if that isn't there's some something there that gets very quickly lost when we move to the national scale but maybe that's we should keep that in mind that actually the you know our homes are our temples and our families are, you know, our sacred tribe, and that we all have access to this. You know, the visions of the of the prophets maybe try to take us back. And like everybody, eventually, there isn't priests and and laity, but everybody becomes, you know, has has direct access to God. Okay, but that's 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 a lot. That's that's a lot to speculate on just here in these last minutes. I do want to show you one last thing though, because this verse, this you know, kingdom of priests verse is extremely suggested does a nice job of saying oh you know our investigation has been fruitful because look at it's not just that we made all these connections but there's something about all of this that has been priestly right but it's also true and i want to end by thinking about the way that there's something about leviticus that it goes the other way there's something about leviticus that is really rooted in this moment. The whole sacrificial system, in a sense, begins that first Passover night. And what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, Ari, Ari was, was um, signaling earlier the, the particular concern of that night, which is that death is outside, and this ritual must be performed in order to ward off death, right? Now, <laughs> This is, this is just the language, just to give you the language here. And, you know, take a bunch of hyssop, it says. Take a bunch of hyssop. That's ezov in Hebrew. Dip it into the blood that's in the basin. This is back in Exodus 12. We started with, um, or, or we, 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 uh, we just looked at Exodus 12 up here. Okay, so it continues. And you, di um, you dip the blood in the basin and apply some of the blood. This is instructing you how to do it. Um, to the lintel and to the two doorposts, and none of you shall go outside the door of your house until morning. For Hashem, when going through to smite the Egyptians, will see the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, and Hashem will pass over the door and not let the destroyer enter and smite your home. <laughs> now, who's the destroyer? It's not clear what it's Hamashchi. is sometimes translated as the angel of death. It doesn't say that. It just says the destructive force, right? The destroyer. Now, who's the destructive force? Well, God is the destructive force, or at least the destructive, God is bringing the destructive force. It comes from God. This is that same theology. And, right, and this just to, to, to return us um, to, the, to the thinking we were doing with Jen and then with Matt, it doesn't seem like this destructive force has the power 
to 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 pick out the ones it wants to hurt, the ones it thinks is bad. It's just moving. And you better get that blood up on the door because this blood for some reason is a cure, is a preventative, is a, you know, it's the, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the magic, you know, that'll do the trick. It's the medicine perhaps that will do the trick, right? And I do, and that's sort of where I want to end is that this fear of death outside, death is outside. We know that fear, don't we? This fear that death is outside and it's, it doesn't care who you are, it's coming. And can we do anything to stop it? That perhaps is one of the great concerns of Leviticus and of the priestly class. Maybe they are the, the doctors of the day. And yes, they were spiritual doctors, but there was no difference, right? They were the medicine men, among other things, of the day. And I must just end by, uh, by um, showing you then that these connections keep coming, but where is the last time that we saw hyssop? Where's the last time we saw hyssop? In this class. This is the first time we see hyssop, but we mentioned it in our first text, in our first text. Because the Mitsora, right, who is suffering from this affection, the priest orders two live birds, cedar wood, crimson stuff, and hyssop to be brought for the purified, right? And then they dip them together. They put the hyssop and they dip it together in the blood of the bird, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You see, it's like the same elements. The same el hyssop is not like all over the place in the Torah, okay? It's there and it's here. So you can see the priests are sort of borrowing from this moment of fear that death is outside the door. How can we ward it off, right? Okay, so that's that I think is some, for me, for me, that's helpful, not just for understanding some of the priestly rites of Passover and how, how priestly Passover really is, but also for helping me understand that the, what we used to think were the weirdest parts of Leviticus, the most irrelevant parts of Leviticus, now not just feel relevant, but because we know what, if, what, um, what infection is, but also because they are books about the fear of mortality, fear of our decaying bodies, the fear of disease, the fear of, you know, touching the wrong fluid or the wrong insect. And then suddenly like, uh, what's happened to me? I have no idea what I'm Tame, Tame. I have no idea how this got into me and can anyone help me? That kind of Levitical voice I never, it never, I never really heard it before. And it feels so important. It feels so human and so necessary to hear that voice right at the heart of our, of our Torah. So I think we'll uh, end on that note. Thank you, everybody. And uh, wishing everybody a Chag Kasher V'Sameach, a, uh, a, a happy Passover, a kosher Passover. Um, and um, we there's no Parsha for the next two weeks. So we will take a two-week break from this class. We'll return um, after Passover um, uh, in three weeks and study Achrei Mot. Okay, so I will miss you all. Okay, that's it. A taste of our weekly Parsha class. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came to the class 
some of whose voices you may have heard today, uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, and speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime and come and, and join our, our circle of, of Torah geeks, you can find us, uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m. online at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And, uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And, um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that, that uh, we keep our classes, you can, if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archive classes and source sheets and everything we discuss there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I will talk to you next week. 